Great to see you all here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. And if it's your very first Sunday with us, welcome. We are thrilled you're here. And as Justin said, kicking off a brand new series today. In fact, I'm so excited about this new series. I actually canceled uh, a wedding that I've been invited to go to yesterday. And uh, I said, I can't go to this wedding because it was in London and I'd have had to fly back late and I would have missed this. So I said, nope, can't be at the wedding. Uh, I think it worked out well because Oprah was able to go in my place. So uh, that was good. But yeah, my buddy, he'd invited me there. He wants to know what it was like to be married to an American. And I, I just told him it's pretty good. So uh, he got my thumbs up. So this new series we're beginning is called Our House. So my wife, Casey, and I, in the course of our 20 years of being married, we've lived in five different houses. Uh, we were just talking about this this week, about the different homes we've lived in, and some have been local, some have been up in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, where we worked with a church for a while. And um, all these houses have got so many stories. I can remember our very first house that we bought. Uh, we were a young married couple, and we, we scraped our pennies together, and we could just afford this two-bedroom house in Peoria Heights, and we were just thrilled that we were homeowners, and uh, we could just barely make the mortgage payments. So we weren't really going to be able to make any huge improvements to this home, but soon after moving in, we peeled back the carpet, this scrappy carpet that was throughout the whole main level, and discovered that there was this solid oak wood flooring underneath, and my wife's like, ah, oh, we've got to refinish this floor. It would look beautiful to have hardwood flooring throughout the house. Well, we called a few companies and found out how much it costs to finish hardwood floor, so that was out of the window. Uh, but then we found out that Menards can rent you the sander uh, for so much per hour, and we could afford that, so I taught myself very quickly. This is 20 years ago, pre-YouTube, so I'm figuring out how to sand a wood floor, and we got that all done, and then we bought the stain, and I can remember um, the way our house was laid out. The, the wood floor kind of came all the way up to the bedroom. They were on the main level there, and um, these two bedrooms. So the stain, when you applied it, took eight hours to dry. So we had this system, Case and I, where we would both start at different ends of the house, and we'd kind of slap this stain on and work backwards till we got to our bedroom. And the last piece of stain was in front of our bedroom, and then we went to the bedroom, and that was it. Eight hours. We weren't allowed out of the bedroom. It was, we just painted ourselves into a corner, literally. Uh, I even had this little system where I tied some string to the ceiling fan in the middle of the floor there, so I could pull it when it was time for bed, and the lights would go off, and then that's it. We were in bed for the night. So um, that's kind of how we started off. Five houses later, now we can actually afford to hire people to do these jobs, which is a much better thing. So if you've seen the way I work, it's, uh, it's much better at leaving this to the professionals. Um, I'm still a little bit cheap, so anytime I try and get some work done, we're having some uh, landscaping done here soon, and I talked to the guy, and I said, well, maybe we could save some money if I did some of this, and he said, yeah, he said, I'll probably have to redo what you do, it'll cost you more money, and he's right, I mean, he doesn't know me, but he's exactly right with how it'll go, so, so we're just going to have shorter trees instead, but um, as we looked at each one of these houses we lived at, we realized that every single one of them, um, although they were different, some were two stories, some were single stories, bigger, smaller, small yards, big yards, every one of them had something in common. And that was the rooms that were in those houses. It doesn't matter where you live, a lot of the rooms were common to every house. Every house we've lived in has had a kitchen. Every house we've lived in has had a bathroom. And some of those rooms, they bring back very similar memories, irrespective of where you find that particular house. For example, all five homes have had kids' rooms. Kids' bedrooms. Now, each one of those rooms has been different, but they all bring back very special memories. 
The very first house we lived in will always be uh, memories of diapers being changed and uh, middle of the night having to go up to Karma, a crying baby, right through to now where we've gone through the transitions of Lego creations and homework being done. And now the kids' rooms are rooms where they play the guitar and watch shows on their iPad. And each kid's room even though they've changed, we'll still have those great, great memories of that relationship between us and our kids. The dining rooms we've had in all these homes. I think we've had dining rooms in every home. If not, we've always had somewhere where you can at least sit around a table and eat some food. They carry very special memories. Different kinds of relationships. Those are the relationships where Case and I would sit with, with friends of ours and we would talk and just some great memories. There are some, some homes we've lived in where we think back to that dining room. We can think about the people that maybe we're not as close with today. They moved on or we moved away. But some great friends that were, uh, were made during that time of our lives. Some of the friends in our life have sat at multiple dining room tables in multiple homes we've owned. We've known them that long and they're such close, special friends. We can think of different houses and different dining room tables where those relationships have continued on. There's another room that we've had in all of our houses that will always remind us of a very important relationship in our lives, and that's the bedroom. The bedroom signifies a very important relationship. And after 20 years of marriage and five different houses, there is only one thing that I think about when I think about the bedroom. And that is, why is she still tucking the sheets under at the end of the bed? It just drives me nuts. After 20 years, she still tucks the sheets under. And I get my feet under and they're like suffocating. I'm like, Argh! I have to like pull them all out because it's just trapping my feet at night. 20 years we married, still sheets tucked in. I guess that's not the only thing that one would think about when thinking about the bedroom. But the bedroom will always represent that most intimate of relationships in our lives. So in this upcoming series over the next four weeks, I want to use this, this metaphor of the house to look at the relationships that God's put in our lives. Every one of us, when we think of that house, can think of relationships in the context of the kids' room. Maybe it's children or grandchildren or children whose lives we're a part of. When we think about the dining room, maybe we can think about friends we've had who we've enjoyed having a meal around, some friends that we miss, maybe some friendships that have been broken that once sat happily at our dining room table, but now that relationship has been severed. We're going to think about the idea of the bedroom, the most intimate of relationships, and how even that can be a challenge at times. And we're going to look at every room of, these, of this house. As we look at the idea of these relationships, we're going to find out that God wants to play a part in these relationships in our lives. God wants to help us navigate through the relationships, through the good times and through the bad. Because you see, when I think of the houses we've lived in, I don't think of them in terms of square footage or construction or where they were located. I look at those five houses that we've lived in. In fact, I think of them as homes, not houses. And I think about the memories and the relationships that are associated with those homes. One of the wisest men who ever lived was a man by the name of Solomon. He lived thousands of years before Jesus himself was even born. And he wrote a collection of what we call Proverbs. And if you read these, these Proverbs, they're just full of wisdom. So inspirational. And at the time, people would come from miles around, journey day after day to, to come and spend time in the presence of Solomon. Just to, just to hear the wisdom of this great king. 
And we can read some of his wisdom in, in this collection of Proverbs in the Bible. In Proverbs 24, he talks about a house. He says in verses 3 through 4, A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. Wouldn't you love to experience that wisdom that, God, that Solomon's talking about? Wouldn't you love to experience God's wisdom in every room of your house? And by every room, I mean in every relationship in your life. The relationship that you have with your kids, your spouse, your friends. I believe that God wants to be active in every one of those relationships. But just think for a second about the, the current condition of your relationships. Would you say that there's maybe one or two that could use some improvements? Is there a room or two that needs updating, maybe some renovating? When it comes to relationships, do you have one right now that's a bit of a fixer-upper? Something only Chip and Joanna themselves could fix. My guess is that there's not a person here who can't think of a relationship or two that could use some work. And if we're real honest with each other, some of us might even say that our entire house needs a makeover. So throughout this series, we're going to look at our house, our relationships, we're going to ask God, God, would you show us how we can live the best we can? And, and the challenge with the relationships will always be that there's always more than one person involved. So there's always going to be a limit to what can happen in this relationship because you will always be limited by the other person. But that doesn't mean we step back and say, well, until they change. or until... We can still take responsibility of our side of the relationship. So over these next three or four weeks, that's exactly what we're going to do. We'll say, God, show me what I need to do to take responsibility over this area of relationship in my life. Show me, Lord, how you would have me live my life. So before we even enter the house, before we even get started on this series, I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking about the front door. The front door, because the front door is the access to every room in the home. And the front door is a very important door. As you probably know, check out this video clip. Growing up in England, I'm not familiar with every one of those front doors, but um, maybe you're too young to remember some of those shows as well. But very famous moments in very famous TV shows of people coming into someone's home. Some welcome guests and some the door, as Jerry was trying to shut it on Newman's face, not so welcome. Some who didn't need to knock. Kramer just came right on in. <laughs> But that front door, that's kind of significant, isn't it? When you think about the home, the front door is a very significant part of the house. I can remember, um, this wasn't so long ago, Case and I, my wife and I, we were coming back from somewhere with Will, who's our middle son, and um, we turn the corner to come into the driveway of our home, and as we pull up the driveway, we look up and we see the front door to our house is open. No one's home, 
Uh, Emma, my daughter, and Ben were both out, and the front door is open. So immediately, as you can imagine, there's panic. If that were you, I'm sure you were thinking, this is terrible. Is, are we going to go in and find our house has been ransacked? Are we going to go in and find bad people inside the house? None of those thoughts went through our mind at all. The only thoughts of that moment that went through our minds were the cats. If you've heard my story, you'll know that we had a situation a while back with one of our cats that escaped and was gone for weeks. And miraculously, thanks to the prayers of my son, Will, the cat returned. He is the Bear grills of cats. He survived outdoors in the wild for a couple of months and made his way back. So when we saw that front door open, Will runs to the front door. He's terrified that the cat has escaped again. Opens the door, and there are these two stupid cats just sat there, just kind of looking out this gap, like wondering, is this a trick? Are we allowed to go? You know, what's, this door's been open a long time. What's the deal here? Can we leave, or are we going to get in trouble? So we shut the door very quickly. Will thanks Jesus that his cats were still there. But that's what the door, the front door, represents, doesn't it? The front door is, is there to keep the cats in and the bad guys out. <laughs> but what about the front door of our relationships? If this house metaphor is meant to represent our lives and our relationships, what does the front door represent there? Well, I think the idea being here that how much attention do we pay to who we're going to let walk through the door of our lives? You see, I think the front door is all about the boundaries that we set in our relationships. The front door is, is about who I'm going to let in and how much access I'm going to give to this person relationally. And I think as followers of Jesus, uh, we get hung up on this sometimes because we feel like, well, if, if I'm to be a follower of Jesus, I'm to kind of open my door to just anyone because that's what he would have me do. But we're going to discover this morning that, that even Jesus himself gave some ideas on some, some boundaries here that are, are healthy for us to put in our lives. But if we're ever going to really understand what I mean by boundaries and what boundaries look like, we have to understand that we probably all here this morning have two different types of relationships. We probably, if we had to divide the people in our lives into two categories, we could probably say there are some people that are just life-giving. These are life-giving relationships. But there are others that are life-stealing. Here's what I mean by this. I've got some close friends, Nate and Jill. We've known them for ages. They've sat at many of our dining tables over the years. We've known them for a long time. Uh, we used to work together at a church in Chicago many years ago, and now we've gone our separate ways, but we've just kept that relationship strong over the years, and they live in Kansas City right now, and sometimes they'll come in to visit, and they'll stay for a day or two at our house, and um, we'll sit up late and talk, which for me is amazing, because I'm not a night person. Okay, I'm an early riser, but if I'm not in bed at 10 o'clock, it's, it's normally unusual, okay? I'm normally in bed at, by 9 o'clock, Case and I, if we're watching TV or something, I'm kind of falling asleep on the couch, and then by 10 o'clock, I'm in bed fast asleep. So when Nate and Jill come, we'll stay up late and talk. Like some nights, it'll be like 10.30 before I go to bed. It's crazy. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'll sit with Nate and Jill in my living room, and I'm still getting tired. That, that late, you know, <laughs> my early riser is kicking in, and my lateness is kind of putting me to sleep. But even though my body and I'm kind of feeling tired, I'm just loving sitting and talking to them because it's invigorating conversation. It's life-giving conversation. And maybe you've got some friends like that that maybe you don't see that often, but when you do see them, man, you just, you could keep talking and talking and telling stories and sharing what's going on in your life. And, and when you leave, even if you were tired when you got together, you still leave feeling refreshed and invigorating. Those are the life-giving relationships that many of us are blessed with in our lives. But if we flip that coin, some of us, 
we have life-stealing relationships, don't we? That's the person who doesn't leave you feeling invigorated. In fact, on the contrary, they leave you feeling exhausted. They just kind of suck the life right out of you. If that person's in church with you this morning, try not to look at them right now. Um, if it's your spouse and they just squeezed your knee, you're definitely going to want to be here on the week we uh, visit the bedroom. So, um, but there are, aren't there? There are situations in our lives where we're like, I don't know how this happened, but this person's a part of my life now. When I spend time with them, I just feel kind of defeated and it just sucks the life out of me. And, but I feel like as a follower of Jesus, you know, I've got to be a friend to them and I've got to... So that's what I want to look about this morning because I do believe that God's got a lot he wants to teach us about our relationships in our lives. But if every relationship can be kind of portrayed through a room of the house, I think God's got something he wants to say about the front door of the house as well when it comes to relationships. So how do we know then who the people are that we should let through the front door? Who are the people that we need to maybe do a better job of closing the door on? Well, a guy by the name of Paul, who wrote a significant part of the New Testament, um, he wrote to different churches and followers of Jesus throughout the, the church as it was growing in New Testament times after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He writes to one church in particular, a group of people in the city called Galatia, and he writes in this letter, and he's talking about this idea of relationships. And in the context of this conversation he's having with these people at this church, he says this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone. Um, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. And I read that and I think, now wait a minute, Paul, because I think you contradicted yourself there. As I'm reading this short paragraph you've written, these, these three verses, you've started out here, Paul, in verse 2, and you've said, we should carry each other's burden. And that sounds great. That sounds like something I should do if I'm a follower of Jesus. But then, at the very end of verse 5, you say, but each one should carry their own load. So, Paul, what are you saying here? Are you saying that we should carry each other's burdens? Or are you saying we should carry our own load? Because those two seem to work against each other. Which is it? Well, to understand this, you actually have to look in more detail at the original Greek that this was written when Paul's writing to this church in Galatia because there's two Greek words he uses, one for burden and one for loads, that are very different words and have very different meanings. And when you understand the difference between those meanings, I think it's really going to help you this morning with those relationships in your life, who it is that you're to throw the front door wide open to and who it is maybe that you should kind of close the front door for your sake and for theirs. You see, the original Greek word for burden that we read there in verse 2, when Paul says carry each other's burdens, he uses a word there, a Greek word called baros. Baros literally means excess burdens. He's talking about burdens here that are so heavy, they weigh us down. The, the, the visual uh, analogy of this would be like a boulder, something so heavy that, that you yourself cannot carry this by your strength alone. Maybe you're here today and you, you can identify with this word because you have come in this morning and there is a burden, a boulder that you are carrying. It could be a death, a diagnosis, a divorce. That is a heavy burden. And God did not design you and create you to carry that alone. Paul is actually saying to the church, the community of believers, 
It is our responsibility to get alongside our brothers and sisters in the faith and to help them shoulder that burden. Because you see, if you're here this morning and you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you've made a decision to become a part of his church, and I'm not talking about just Connect Church here, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ, you've stepped into a community, and and stepping into that community, there are some responsibilities that Jesus himself and then Paul and other New Testament writers go on to talk about, that this isn't a journey we do alone. This is a community in which we give and we receive. In fact, this morning, or let's say tomorrow, for example, this school fell to the ground, we wouldn't say, oh, that's a shame, Connect Church has, has fallen down. No, we are Connect Church. We exist outside of this building. Any place we gather together, that is Connect Church. That's a community of believers. And one of the responsibilities in being a, a member of the community of these believers is that, as Paul said, we're to come alongside one another and help carry those boulders, help carry those, those difficult weights. And I hope and pray here at Connect, if you've not yet taken that step into getting more involved, whether it be through a small group or finding a team to serve on, but somewhere where you can get more connected. Because I want you to be in a place where when you find yourself carrying that boulder, there are people who love and care about you who will step alongside and help you carry that boulder, that burden. And don't just think of it that way. Maybe you've got the ability to step alongside someone else and help them with their burden. And maybe that's why God's wanting you to get more connected so you can be there for that person as well as needing people to help carry this burden. We need people who have a relationship with Jesus to point us towards the greatest solution when it comes to carrying burdens. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus himself said this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus, while he walked on this earth, he said to his followers and, and to us today, it's my goal to help carry your burdens. Jesus loves you so much this morning that he doesn't want to see you go through life alone under the pressure of these burdens. If you've not made a decision to ask Jesus to be a part of your life yet, I encourage you to do so. Because not only does he want to have an amazing relationship with you, but he wants to walk alongside you when you're going through those tough times. And he wants to carry those burdens. He wants to come alongside you. He doesn't, we weren't created, we weren't designed to carry those burdens alone. So Paul is starting out there when he's writing to the Galatians saying um, that we need to be prepared to carry one another's burdens, to help one another out. But what about this contradiction when he says well, we should carry our own load? Well, when you understand the word load, you'll understand the difference. You see, the Greek word for load was fortune, which means cargo, or just basically the burden of daily labor. The best way to kind of describe this idea of what that looks like is is a backpack, a book bag, something that you'd carry your everyday stuff around with you. Now, it might be a heavy backpack. It might be a very overloaded, maybe stuffed backpack, but it's still your backpack. It is still your um, normal, what's expected of you, load, cargo to carry. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying, there'll be times where you'll feel like the weight of an excess burden is upon your shoulders. And he's encouraging the other followers of Jesus to come alongside and help shoulder that burden. But he's reminding them that it's also the responsibility of everyone to carry their own cargo. So how does that play out in our relationships? And how does it play out with this front door that we have control of to open or close in our lives? 
Here's how. The trouble comes when people act as if their backpacks are boulders. When the friends, the people you're in relationship with in your life, they say, well, this backpack I'm carrying is like a boulder that I shouldn't have to carry myself. And then it gets worse when we give in and agree to repeatedly carry that person's backpack for them. Boundaries can help us to recognize what's our responsibility and what's somebody else's. So Paul's saying, while it's still God's will, if you're a follower of Jesus, to, to live in community with one another, to have relationships with others and to help them, it's okay still to have boundaries. It's okay to have a front door on our house. So how do we manage these boundaries in their lives? Well, the first, I think it's kind of simple. You just have to be careful who you're going to let in. You've got to just decide early on, I'm going to be careful who I open that door to. It appears that Jerry didn't do a good job of locking his door because Kramer just burst in anytime he wanted. But you know that when it comes to the front door, the lock and the handle, it's, it's on your side. You can actually determine who you let in and who you don't. Let's say you're struggling with a particular area in your life. Let's say it's, it could be anything. Maybe you, you drink more than you wish you would and uh, you're, you're trying to make some change in your life, but it seems like all your friends, all the people you're giving access to your life, whenever you're with them, all they want to do is go out and drink and have a good time and suddenly you're like, no wonder I'm struggling because all the people who I've given access to in my life are all struggling in the same area. Maybe you're dealing with negativity and you just don't understand why you just can't get a hold of it. It just feels like all the time you're critical and negative. And Take a look at who you've opened the front door to. If you find that the relationships in your life, many of which are feeding that negativity, maybe it's time to shut the door. Or maybe it's time to open the door to some different people instead, some people who are more positive, who are going to bring life and faith into your life. So, so first and foremost, I know it sounds kind of simple, but let's just be careful who we let in. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, great. Thanks, Dave. I wish you told me that six months ago. That person's already in. They got through the front door. They got their feet up, and they are draining the life out of me. What do I do now? Or maybe the second thing is for you. You need to quit enabling Quit enabling. This sounds harsh, but think about it in the context of what Paul wrote to those, those Christ followers there in Galatia. Because you see, you may discover there are people in your life who will let you carry their backpack, will let you carry the loads that, that God gave to them. They will try to make you responsible for their happiness. Help with their burdens by all means. Help with the burdens of those you find in your life, but not with their load. Don't carry the backpack that they should be carrying themselves. Think about it this way. I'm going to use a baseball analogy, so you, you know it's just not going to go well because I just know nothing about baseball. But imagine a big baseball game between two big teams, and it's the end of the season, so it's like a pretty critical one. Um, I'm sure there are baseball games like that. Anyway, these two teams are against each other. It's the end of the ninth innings, the bottom of the ninth, which I believe is right at the end. Yeah, okay. So it's the bottom of the ninth, all right? The pitcher is stepping up to the mound. He's about to pitch like probably the most important pitch of his life because he knows that when I throw this ball, if he knocks it out of the park, this game's over and we're out. If I strike him out, we win and we go on. So all that pressure on that pitcher right there, he knows that every eye in the stadium, that there are hundreds, thousands of people watching him online, on TV, and he just feels all that pressure. And he steps up on the mound, he's like, this is too much. And he turns to the shortstop, he goes, you do it. Come on, you come over here, you throw it instead. That would be ridiculous. 
Because I'm 99% sure that the shortstop doesn't pitch. I, I think. I, I may be wrong, but I'd, that's not his job. The pitcher's job is to pitch. Now, I get it. I know that in this particular game, the, the burden seems very great because maybe there's more pressure in this game than any other game. But at the end of the day, he's still doing what he was signed by that team and is being paid to do. It's his job. And sometimes I think we may have relationships or friends in our lives who um, they just, because of the largeness of the, the pressure of the job they're meant to be doing, they're leaning into you. They're saying, I need your help. I need this. But actually, this was something that they are meant to do themselves. If you've been enabling someone in this way by carrying a load that was meant for them, you've got to let it go. You've got to encourage this, this person in the relationship that they can do this. Say, listen, I think you can do this. Maybe this is something that God is, is using to, to bring something out of you that you didn't know was in yourself. If I do it, you could actually miss something that God is wanting to do because this isn't a burden that you're dealing with right now. This is a backpack. This is a load. This is what you, you were created to do. You took that job. You, you, you married this person. You're in this relationship. You know, this is something that you've taken on. And I think God's wanting to, um, to work something in this through you. I will help you by all means. But I'm not going to do it for you. This is something you need to do. You know, the idea of not enabling someone is a great one, but sometimes it doesn't just happen naturally. The third thing this morning is you might have to speak up. There may be a relationship where that's actually a conversation that needs to take place. A conversation to put some boundaries in place, and this is never easy. This is never easy in any relationship. Sometimes it can be a friend. Sometimes it can be families. But when we're talking about boundaries, sometimes there has to be a, a sit-down conversation of exactly what's going on here. And that's very difficult. But Paul, again, gives us some advice and some counsel on this. When he wrote to another church in Ephesians, he said this. He said, instead, we will speak the truth, which is great. Thanks, Paul. That's really important. You're saying we should speak the truth to one another. That's good. But he doesn't stop there. He says, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I read a book recently as a business book, and uh, it's, it's kind of a really good leadership book. And um, it was just great to read some of the stories about this particular executive in this company and what he'd learned along the way. But one of the stories he'd learned, he was early on in his career, and he was at this sales gathering, and there was all these different salesmen from different levels in the company. And uh, he said he was looking on at this conversation that took place between two salesmen. One of them, he was like the head. He was like the most important salesman in this company. Then there's this other guy who was kind of a new guy. He was kind of new. Um, and they got talking, this top guy and this, this, this new guy. And he couldn't believe he was in the same room with them. So he was just like hanging out with him for ages, following him around and everything. And finally, the author of the book says, I looked over and I saw this head guy say, listen, bud, you and I, we're in different leagues. I'm not gonna be able to help you in any way at all. We are just not the same person. But you see that guy over there? I think if you talk to him tonight, he could really help you. You could network with one another. I think he could really help you as your career goes on. The author of the book couldn't believe it. He thought, how rude. I can't believe that that guy just said that. But then he says at the end of the night, the, the first guy came back to the, the head guy. He's like, hey, thanks so much for saying that to me. I had a great conversation with this guy. We've already set some stuff up. That never would have happened if he hadn't told me. Now, I'm not recommending you go out and tell all your friends, hey, you know what, you and I... <laughs> We're never going to get along. I'm cool. You're not. You know, I mean, you, it's very difficult to have conversations like that. 
But what I do like about the idea in this book is the truth. That he was willing to speak the truth. Now, I think we can do that in relationships in love. I think there are ways that you can speak the truth in love. Paul shows us the correct way isn't to not say anything. It's to say something, but to say it in love. I think you're awesome, but I think this is something you're going to have to work through yourself. I think this is a backpack that you're dealing with, not a boulder. I think this is something that God wants to do in your life as you learn to carry it yourself. I think I'm going to have to push the front door shut a little bit here because I think this is something that, that God really wants you to work on in your life. You see, when we do this, if our heart is really for the other person, if we really want them to win in this situation, I think it is possible to speak the truth in love. Because you see, we talked earlier, didn't we, about life-giving relationships and life-stealing relationships. Do you know what the difference is between those two relationships? Life-giving relationships are based on grace and truth. Life-giving relationships are based on grace and truth. It's what is at the center of those relationships. Life-stealing relationships are often based on control. Solomon said, by wisdom, a house is built. Through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Over the next coming three weeks, we're going to talk about three very significant rooms in our life that represent three very significant relationships. The kids' room, the bedroom, and the dining room. But before we even step foot into that house, before we even start talking about those relationships, I think God wants to remind all of us that there is a front door on this house. And that being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean taking that door off the hinges and just letting anyone in. But at the same time, it doesn't mean barring up the door and not letting anyone in. It means using wisdom, saying, God, you've put some people in my life that I can help. And I want to help bear one another's burdens. I want to help point people to you, Jesus, the, the, the perfect bearer of all of our burdens. But I don't want to enable them. I don't want them to miss out on an opportunity uh, to grow because what they're carrying is a backpack, not a boulder. So I just pray that through all these relationships that we look at, that God will give us the wisdom to know what boundaries look like. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this is such a, uh, a difficult path to walk because every one of us have relationships in their lives and every one is a, uh, a challenge in and of itself. But Lord, I do believe that you through Scripture, have given us so much wisdom. Just, just the New Testament alone, Jesus, you and Paul and the other two New Testament writers spoke so much about relationships, about loving one another, about there's just, just the one another verses alone. There are dozens of them throughout the New Testament. So God, help us to be wise. Help us to be wise in the relationships in our lives, to navigate them the way you would have us do so. Lord, we want to understand what it looks like to, to see you at work in the relationships in our marriage and with our kids and with our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones. But the truth is, Lord, we also understand that sometimes maybe we need to um, guard the front door. Guard the front door to where we can have relationships in our life that bring us life and who we pour life into them. But also to guard ourselves, to protect ourselves from relationships that may steal life that we may be preventing somebody in enabling them for, to learn 
what it is they're needing to learn through that experience. So God, give us wisdom. This isn't easy, Lord, so we just pray that you would help us on this journey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.